professionals don't want to share yeah. who's going to teach the young ones True. yet they're eager to learn True. so my encouragement to people is teach share no share enough for the young ones to be able to pick up the little mm -hmm. that you know mm -hmm. they'll become better than you that's okay most of my mentees are better than me in what they do but it's, it's fine mm -hmm. at the end of the day are they happy yes are they making money yes are they living comfortably yes are they raising a family mm -hmm. yes that's what i want to see Hey everyone, welcome to the Shaping Africa podcast. Each week we highlight an inspiring person who is shaping Africa so you can learn how to use your own skills and uniqueness to make real impact on the continent. I'm your host, Rose Thiga. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Shaping Africa podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bright Gameli, um, who is a cybersecurity specialist, uh, a real techie and technologist. And I'm really delighted to have this conversation today, um, particularly dwelling around how he ended up in South Korea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what he's been up to since being back on the African continent. So welcome to the show, Bright. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll just get straight into it. How Why on not? earth did you get to South Korea? By, by accident. Okay. Let me tell you something. So it was, so after undergrad, I started working at a company called Cellulant, okay. um, which is everybody knows Cellulant. Um, in the first year after that, my dad went to South Korea for a conference. Interesting. So he's in a, he is in the church kind of business. He's not a pastor. He's a finance person in the church business. So at the conference, in, Christianity is really big in South Korea. Mm. So he went there. There were about 4,000 people at a one conference. And he kept on bumping into this one guy. Every time he goes for lunch, dude is there. Mm -hmm. At the same, the different service stations. He switches to here another station at another day. Same dude. He's like, no. This is the third time we're meeting. There has this to him. He feels there has to be some sort of a connection. So they, he's called Professor Young. Mm -hmm. Professor Young. They met. They chit chat, and then they said, look. I think my son wants to do his master's in South Korea. I had never, ever thought of a country like South Korea to actually go there to study or to do anything there. Like, it's never crossed my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, you know what? So he, Professor Young now connected me to a guy called Professor Park. Okay. Can you imagine, right after he connected us, and I wrote to Professor Park, he sent me the details of what I need to do to be able to get the scholarship and everything. Professor Young disappeared. For the past four, for four years that I've been in South Korea, I have never met this man. Really? Emails yeah. bounced, phone calls bounced. Uh, we use something called Kakao. Kakao is like what's up in the Asian community. Right. Bounced. Nothing. What? This guy's a ghost. He doesn't exist. Even I went to look at the lab where he was teaching. Dude is not there. Like, wow. I'm like, what kind of... Okay, I call him an angel. Right. Because <laughs> he just gave me an opportunity to go study my master's. Right. And yeah, it was quite interesting. Yeah. So yeah. what was life like in South Korea? It was very shocking. First of all, I went at a time when it was in August. Mm -hmm. That was the, the, how do you call it, summertime mm -hmm. in South Korea. Uh, first, it's usually about seven months cold <laughs> in South Korea. So that August was really hot. I got there day one on a, on a Sunday. There was no flight list to go there. And a Korean air just launched. So first of all, taking a flight there was 12 hours in the air. Wow. I was dying. And there were only like, I think almost 10 of us in the airplane <laughs> we went. So pretty interesting experience. Mm -hmm. uh, my professor picked me up. We stayed. And then the day after that, he said he's traveling to the States. Mm -hmm. So he's leaving to the United States for one year as an exchange program, uh, for an exchange program. So he's the one who speaks the best English. And he's introduced me to other people who were speaking a little bit of broken English, and I'm not used to that. So I had to start learning a whole new environment. Korea is usually clean by day and at night dirty because <laughs> a lot of partying that goes oh, on and that everything. So? Yeah. Oh, it's a party town. You have really? no idea. Had no idea. Oh yeah, Korea is a complete party town. They're the most alcohol consumers in the world. Wow. There, a, 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 a small bottle of what you call soju, mm. which is 25%, goes for 100 shillings. Wow. A dollar. Wow. Beer goes for $2. And that's a two liter. 
Like, you know how you buy Fanta in the shops? Mm. That's how easy it is to be accessed. Wow. So I did started uh, my lessons and uh, my master supposed to take uh, 26 credits. And that 20, no, 24 credits, that's going to be for a two-year program. Mm -hmm. In the first year, the culture shock hit me so hard because this guy is study crazy. The forever study. Mm -hmm. So I had to finish all of that. I finished my entire course in a year. But my professor came in the second year, so I had to also start again to, excuse me, to do his classes. So I overdid yeah. my credits. I ended up being 42. Wow. So I overstudied. But it was interesting because I'm learning anything and everything from artificial intelligence mm -hmm. to GSM technology mm -hmm. to geographical spaces to software development, project management, name it, cybersecurity and all aspects of things. So I was really learning a lot. Comes the social part of things. You have to, the first week, I was really trying to learn how to, I was now at the school, school on campus hostel, mm -hmm. and I was really trying to just to get to know people mm -hmm. and everything. Met a guy from Fiji, and the Fiji guy took me out to go shop for basic soda, for things that I can buy around, right? Then I met other people from, from Spain, from Sweden, from a whole, so it's a whole international community. We decided to step out right after the school, is 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 a wholesome city clubs everywhere and the weirdest thing happened to me on the first night mm -hmm. got to club it's, it's a small shop the guy's like hi my name is johnny come in i'm like what it's like i have something for you it's called i hate johnny okay. it's a shot <laughs> okay. whatever was the content of that shot so i was trying to be bright eh? mm. trying to be very nice <laughs> i bought all that shot for about seven of us that was expensive, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I, didn't, I wasn't really doing the calculation of currency. So I spent a lot of money. Spent $1,000 in a weekend. Wow. One weekend. Wow. When I called my dad for extra cash, like, what? You can't spend $1,000 because I wasn't working, so I didn't have money. After I drinking, I hate Johnny. That content was quite a, a, a percentage. Mm. God has wasted. The next place we went to was a very nice club, which was playing hip-hop. Because Koreans are very pop kind of right. culture yeah. so they don't do hip-hop but there's some people who actually when they do hip-hop they dress hip-hop i see they dress like americans mm. they they start speaking like americans they try to so they have that kind of kind of slang go to the club and we're all dancing and everything and the first culture shock hit me my friends are in front of me we're dancing and somebody slapped my ass so you're just there like african dude and <laughs> My bum has just been, what's going on? <laughs> Later to realize it's a common thing oh. with them. They are too attached, not, not too attached to their feminine side, mm. but you see two men walking and they're not gay. Mm -hmm. They're holding hands and mm. hugging each other and everything, and they're not gay. It's just how they are. Mm. So you see guys and ladies, I mean, a man and a lady will dress the same way, and guess what? They are actually just dating. That's how they are. Mm -hmm. So they dress like a lady, but he's not gay at all. Right. So it's, that culture shock took a while to get out, to get me out of things. Mm -hmm. But fast forward to a few, I mean, the pressure is already there. Crazy studying. It's, it's just madness. Mm. I'm always reading. Mm -hmm. I have to write papers. I have to publish the papers. I have to present the papers. Of course, because it's your master's. It's yeah. my master's. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to make extra money. Mm -hmm. There comes a discrimination. You are African, you cannot teach. English teaching was the easiest job you can get in Korea. If you teach English, you're fine. Mm -hmm. You'll get a job easily. You'll be mm -hmm. paid at least. If you are an American or a European who's from English background, you're paid 30 to $40 an hour. If you're an African, first of all, you're not allowed to teach. You, cannot, you can teach if you're from South Africa. If you're from any other country but South Africa, you're risking your life because <laughs> you might be jailed or deported oh, wow. and paying $10,000. If you do that, you're usually paying about $20 an hour. Mm -hmm. So we are discriminated against. So I'll do interviews. People are telling me, oh, my God, I love your voice and your energy. Oh, I love you. Hello. Can you just come? Oh, where are you from? Ghana. Oh, sorry. Oh, Ghana, Ghana, Ghana. No, 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 no. Ghana, Saram. No, mm. Saram is... is person like Ghana, we don't want Ghana person because you are not what they wanted mm -hmm. it's exactly regulation in the country so a lot of things such as him is depressing because mm. you know you can do the job you want of to make course. extra money but yeah. they're favoring anybody else but you 
is you're fully colonized yeah. in another way mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to risk my, my, my life to work in those kind of jobs, mm -hmm. English teaching jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, the, but the one time it was really difficult for me to get a job over the holidays. So what do I result to? Working with the place where we all hate factories. Mm -hmm. So my boy and I, he's from Niger, but he lived in Kenya for his entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's called Musa. Musa and I went to look for jobs. And there's actually a place when you go there, they look for all the legal jobs for you. All of them. Wow. <laughs> Any job that Africans or other people can know from not from non-English speaking countries, right. you can get the jobs there. So we were given a, a, a factory job to do. We're making shoes. And that thing is so dangerous. Mm. I'm telling you, if you're supposed to put a kind of a socks on a metal, if you close it in two minutes, the socks, is, the shoe is done, a boot. Then you rip it to the side and then you take it off. Right. You're doing that the whole night. If you make a mistake and actually slam it on your finger, it cuts off immediately. It's not like, you don't, you don't even feel it. I don't think you'll feel it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that happened quick. to actually a Kenyan. Whoa. A Kenyan who did that. So they had to do grafting and right. tie, I mean, to, to stitch his fingers to his skin mm -hmm. or to his uh, thigh. Mm -hmm. So that has been happening. So we thought we got a job that night, went out to eat. And now, yes, comes in the second shock. Beef is expensive. Really? Huh? A small portion of beef that you get your Kenya for even a thousand shillings, you know. There, the minimum you get is 4,000. We were not aware. Or rather, I was not aware. So we weren't eating. Ate so much. And Musa, I'm like, Musa, okay, it's time to pay. He's like, okay, he only has about a thousand shillings. And I had 500 bob. We've eaten for more than 6,000 shillings. Now, where do we get the money? <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to stay in that restaurant for an extra two hours because we're not making phone calls. Right. We don't have internet. We, the, our airtime was finished. We had to now start looking for Wi-Fi. One person goes out, look for Wi-Fi again, calls another person to be able to at least send us money. Mm -hmm. So it took about four hours to leave a restaurant where we ate and we're done a very long time ago. Wow. So that whole thing is just, I'm like, back home, this is cheap. Back yeah. home being because I'm from Ghana, but yeah. I've lived in Kenya my entire life. So yeah. Kenya's my second home. It's so cheap. Mm -hmm. Why is it such a difficult thing? Mm -hmm. The next day we've been told, uh, good morning. Sorry, you cannot come for the job at night because you're too tall. What? You're too tall for the machine. I'm like, but I can do the job. It was right. working. We tried it. It was working. Right. We're too tall. So now, here's case we are broke, which resulted to a very interesting job that I had to do. And I need to save water before this one. <laughs> Um, so we got another job from the same company okay. and the job was to work in a rubber factory <laughs> and by rubber I mean a sex toy factory we're making dildos okay cut a shock again you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> yeah, yeah you need to make the money mm -hmm. and you make so I was a filler I was filling dildos basically the dildo comes <laughs> it's, they're different types so the, the type that came to my department <laughs> this sounds weird like a job <laughs> That comes to my department, you press a button with your feet, it comes, you press another one, it fails. You have to shake the top, <laughs> <laughs> then you let it go. Right. Then somebody else had to do the shaping, the cutting of the top before mm. he seals. Mm. So that was a very interesting kind of job. But I was doing that. I still have to write papers. I still have to make sure that I read, I have to pass exams. And I was a straight student, by the way. And... One thing which I had to, I stopped that dildo thing for after two days. I just couldn't take it. Right. Um, and I resulted, so I started creating computer viruses to sell underground. Oh. That is, was the job that I did. Made some few cash. Then some of the papers that I, I presented, somebody saw me and said, we are part of a, I mean, one of the intelligence agencies and we'll love you to just consult for us. Mm -hmm. They will not tell me which one. Later they did, which I can't mention for confidentiality's sake. Mm -hmm. And my job was to research. These guys literally pay me 50,000 Kenya shillings for one meeting. One meeting can be two minutes, can be three minutes. Maximum, if it goes past an hour, they pay you extra. They pay mm -hmm. you double. Mm -hmm. If it goes one hour, one minute, it's actually timed. They pay you twice. So that became the way I was trying to not legitimately live my life when I realized that my skills can actually be used to make money. Mm -hmm, and I started mm -hmm. applying for jobs online uh, to do consultancy services, which totally. um, I was doing a lot of consultancy for Kenyan companies. Mm. Uh, Ushahidi. Oh, from over there. Yeah. Okay. Ushahidi being uh, oh, the key one. Okay. Ushahidi gave me about 20 projects that I had to do. 
amazing. 20 startups in Africa who needed cybersecurity services. Mm -hmm. so I was helping them, but I was mm -hmm. also learning at the same time. Mm -hmm. Became now the way. But I started getting interested in speaking events because every presentation I do, I speak. People are like, what? You've done so well. This is so cool. Mm -hmm. Like, the respect started coming to me as an African. Mm -hmm. One of the, fir the first one that I went for called Eighth Asia's Joint Information Security Conference in 2013. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. I was the first black person they've ever seen at the conference, or rather who made it to that paper. And it was an IEEE paper, and IEEE is well respected for their as an organization. Right, right. And after I presented, they were like, we want you. Ever since then, they get, I get invitations every two months oh, wow. until today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get invitations since 2013 until today. I still get invitations every two months mm -hmm. to submit a paper. Mm -hmm, then I started mm -hmm. becoming a peer reviewer of papers and be able to actually critique others, which I felt to me was a victory for me as an African who is out there wandering around trying to speak. Yeah. One event they invited me for called CodeGate conference, the biggest cybersecurity conference mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. You learn everything, lock picking, <laughs> like they literally teach you how to do lock picking, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how to break doors, how to break into wire system, camera system, disabling of, of alarm systems, then the real hacking and everything. It was really fun. So I was a judge. This guy paid me four and five thousand dollars to speak for thirty minutes. Wow. And I'm like, if I do this twice a week <laughs> I'm so my life is sorted. Even twice a month. Yeah. You know, you're sorted. That's what I started realizing the opportunities out there that we're not taking advantage of. The value of who you are and what is in your brain mm. is so much more that I was making myself look small. Totally. So those kind of things, so those conferences that I go for, I try to speak. Um, currently, as I talk to you right now, I've done 162 pres uh, cybersecurity presentations. Wow. And I keep counting. Those are the ones that I can remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's some which I know must have slipped under the carpet. I mm -hmm. can't remember them. Mm -hmm. So I try to do that to just help myself to learn new things and the value of who I am and what I can do. Yeah. Um, I'm not the best. I don't consider myself the best, but I think I'm good enough in a specific area mm -hmm. that I can do that. Then I got invited by the National, um, National Cybersecurity Organization to help um, teach at a place called BOB, Best of the Best. They teach the best young brains in the entire country, okay. six months crash course. This is still in South Korea? South Korea still. Wow. To be able to use that as a way. All of these are coming back to Kenya, by the way. So everything I'm learning, mm -hmm. how can I do that in Kenya? Mm -hmm. Same thing. Mm -hmm. They teach them, they get to become really good at what in any area of cybersecurity in four corners, and they get hired by the government. So again, all of those things, like, to me, I feel like it was an honor because started off by working in that whole rubber factory. I work in an LG factory trying to make TV stands for LG. It's tiring. Mm -hmm. For 12 hours, the only thing you're getting is coffee. Coffee, 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 coffee. And you're dipping rubbers in um, the TV stands, which are plastic. Correct. Acid, acid, water, and you hook. Yeah. Trust me, by the time you get to the fourth hour, your arms are dead. Mm. So why do they let such people do the job? So it took a while before they started accepting we Africans to be able to do things. Yeah. But all of these, I said, you know what? If I can't do that job, there has to be another way. Mm -hmm. I'm an entertainer, technically. So clubs allow foreigners to get it for free. Okay. And they let locals pay. Okay. Because we, they, they started realizing that we, the foreigners, attract the Koreans to come. Interesting. So I go to clubs. I don't carry money. What? I would do anything. And I'll show you a video. <laughs> I was an MC. Really? Yep. I was an MC. I'm the MC. I rap every song that I come because yeah. I love this music. Even if I don't know the words, I will blubber things and people <laughs> think I know. It was such a fun thing. And I used to organize a dance battle on Fridays in a club. So dance battling happens every, do it every month, once, at least one month. And the last people have to battle me. It's just for fun. Yeah. Then I started doing, a, it have a lot of cafes. So the cafes basically want to have English, um, English-Korean exchange. Mm -hmm. So foreigners come there to learn um, English, and then we, the English, started learning Korean. It's a whole nice exchange. So I became a manager of one of them during the holidays. I'm like, why not? Let me see what this has to offer. <laughs> so I'm the DJ. And DJ, I don't mean, I, I don't know how to mix. I basically play <laughs> mixes, playlists, mm -hmm. 
and I started learning the science of music and, 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 and uh, hearing. Mm -hmm. So when it's 7 p.m., so I said between 7 p.m. and uh, 11, you can drink all you can drink, all you can drink of the house mm -hmm. for 3,000, no, for 2,000 bob. 2,000 shillings, drink all you can. Mm. But we are buying the drinks are very, they're cheap. Mm. So a whole bottle that right. can serve about four people in a cocktail goes for 200 shillings. But nobody knows. No one cares. Mm -hmm. And we buy so many of those and we're mixing for guys. So when you're drinking, so the first one hour you're drinking so hard, then I introduce shots. But the shots that I give you, I increase the music as well. And I had to read the science. When you increase the volume, your energy gets boosted. But what do I do? Bring another shot after 30 minutes, then include and then introduce the jello shots. Jello shots are sugar. So your sugar gets to boost you so high. Anything I tell you to do, you do it. So I started racing frogs and eels. Yes. <laughs> I built a whole table. So I said, people bet on the frogs. Right. <laughs> or you bet on eels or crabs sometimes. Some days I race crabs. Yeah. And people are putting 200 shillings, 200 shillings, 300 shillings. Everybody, the guys are shouting. Yeah. But I'm saying when you finish, you have to do a dancing competition for those who've won. From there, I'll give a tequila bottle. That tequila bottle is cheap. It's about a thousand shillings, but people think it's an mm. expensive one. Mm. And I said, ah, can you just share with everybody? You're already drunk. At that point, what should you do? You want to share. Mm. So again, more shots. And when everybody <laughs> finish, I take them to now the club, mm. which is the club club. Mm. It's called Club Ghetto. <laughs> it was a very, very interesting name. Another club called Blue Monkey. Very close to each other. Mm -hmm. Those guys know me so well that by one, if I don't show up, they can give out my corner. I had a VIP spot and I don't buy drinks. So in that case, saving money, because I don't want to get broke, mm -hmm. I don't have money. Right. And I use that whole experience to be able to make sure people have a good time. Yeah. People, all Kenyans, all foreigners, I even created a Facebook page. You send your music oh, playlists wow. uh, way in advance. So I let the DJ have the music. We play Hardy uh, Kikuyu songs in a club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People are playing Kikuyu songs and we hold each other and follow the whole of the ways and they love it. So that's the experience they want. So I'm like, what? Yeah. Create an experience for them that they don't, they're not used to. Yeah. So Korea was such a very interesting mm. place, but the depression that I was going through was real. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was forever drinking every weekend. <sighs> it became too much. Because yeah. that's the only escape you have. Right. You, you don't yeah. know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. The other only thing I can do to escape is to go hiking. Mm -hmm. So go hiking and you can't travel too much because yeah. you don't have money. Yeah. And But it's really got to me. Fast forward, I came back to Kenya. Okay. Uh, so I finished the master's. So remind you, I overdid the credits. I, came, I took a flight, came back home, and my dad was like, you're not done. You're going back for your PhD. Yeah, I, I'm like, I thought you did a PhD. Yeah. I'm like, I'm 26. Yeah, Why am I doing a PhD? Why, do, why could I just wait? until I'm maybe 40 and I do, because people who do PhD are 40. He said, no, go back. So I said, okay, I'll go back. So I had to call everybody who I sold stuff to, that please return the stuff I sold to you because uh, I'm coming back. So I gave money back to people, took my stuff back, got my room back, because I moved off campus. But another reason why I didn't want to go back was a tragedy happened. Mm -hmm. I lost my roommate oh, to nuts. drowning. Oh when we were both going to learn how to swim, and mm -hmm. I, I traveled, mm -hmm. he went ahead to learn how to swim and traveled to Austria, I think, okay. for a conference. And he's too jovial, so when he was actually calling for help, nobody listened to him. Really? So he drowned right in front of people. Wow. Very most diligent, a guy who has never cast in his life. Never. Ghanaian. And we were the leaders of the international community mm. because when International Day comes, him and I are dancing. Mm. We used to just, we need to make people have a good mm -hmm, time because that's, mm -hmm. we just love that. Mm -hmm. So that really hit me hard. Mm. That's why I never wanted to go back to Korea. Right, right. But hey, it's an opportunity for me to go back and get my PhD. So I went. The PhD requires you to do 36 credits. Mine was reduced to 30. Mm -hmm. And those 30, you're only allowed to normally do a maximum of six. And by six, I mean those are two classes mm -hmm. in a week, mm -hmm. three hours each. And you have to write a paper for those two. Right. You have to research. Every Thursday, you have to research on a topic. You have to present to the faculty. Every Thursday. Every Thursday. 
Oh, that was part of the masters as well. Mm-hmm. So it's intense. it's intense. So you are not just idle. You have to read something new. You have to learn something. I've published, I think, 14 papers. I don't know where some of them are. <laughs> and, um, and some I never published. I wrote them. I liked them, but it didn't meet my standards. So I kept them on the side. Mm-hmm. So I finished. I did, I did 10 um, credits a semester. So 10, 10, 10, one and a half years I was done. I said that my research paper from the beginning of the, of the PhD course, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Okay. So the two years, finished my 30 credits. And interesting thing about Korea, you cannot finish a master's without repeating three exams you've done before at one go. PhD is five. Whoa. You have to repeat. No, no, you haven't failed them, you passed. But you have to repeat. It's called the graduation exam. Really? You choose three courses that you've done from three different departments and redo them at once in one sitting. So you have I over see. five hours. I see. And you cannot cheat. If you go to the washroom, they'll call somebody to mm-hmm. come walk you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you go to the toilet, since they are very free with their sexuality, you open the door. You can't. So you know you wouldn't even feel the need to ever take a poop if you want to. <laughs> it's that bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. That was generally my life in Korea. But interesting people, it, it's, I think after the first two years, people became now, a lot of us became so much there right. that they were very free with us, um, mm-hmm. inviting us to places, and they're very much on time. That's the best thing mm-hmm. I think I've ever learned. I cannot be late for anything because mm-hmm. Koreans are everything's on time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, interesting place though. Wow, I'm so glad you shared your struggles, at least in the beginning, because yeah. I think a lot of times people hear, like, you know, you have a scholarship mm-hmm. and um, they imagine this, like, very beautiful life or whatever because you have a scholarship. Yeah. And they don't envision, you know, how they're going to have pocket money or... Yep. Yeah, because your parents will support you, but there's also a place for you to support yeah. yourself. <laughs> it's not cheap. Yeah, and it's well. not cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so thank you for being so open about all the crazy jobs. Um, and you know, anyone in the diaspora, we've all done them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always tell. Like, I, I, I want to give a talk at Naivas um, to like the management trainee class, and yes. I was like, this is how my journey in retail started, <laughs> and I was like, this is my school. And I worked at, like at a, at the grab and go. It was like, yeah, you know, where if you didn't have time to sit in the dining hall, you came to a grab and go and like make your quick sandwich. So I was the cashier, oh. but that was a promotion <laughs> what? because before I was like literally in the kitchen washing. I don't know what the English word is. Like sufurias at what twice my height and my, I was like I would like almost fall in. What? <laughs> like, while I was like trying to get to the bottom of these things, and it's like. And people think it's actually that easy yeah. when you go out there because, and you see, I blame social media as yeah. well. When we were there, Instagram was not a thing, mm. was it really? No, it no. was more Snapchat yeah. and Facebook. Okay. We only posted the nice pictures. <laughs> I was I was a little she bit rated. pumped at the time, so yeah. I used to flex on my, my muscles and everything. And they're like, "Oh my god!" And I'm like, hey, "If only you knew what they what what we're going through." Yeah, it was so. But we only, and it's it's a thing that part of my PhD research I studied that as well, mm. with, which is cognitive reasoning. Mm. It actually messes up with your head. Mm-hmm. So currently is where I'm seeing it that a lot of people on social media you think are living a particular life, they're not living that life. Yeah. It's actually really difficult for mm. them. But out there, that's the thing. We always show people the good times, the great times, mm-hmm. but never the struggles. Yeah. Let yeah. me tell you, before I came back, I was overqualified and mm-hmm. underexperienced. I see. Getting a job. Yeah. Oh God, I applied to more than 60 jobs mm-hmm. worldwide. Mm-hmm. Every rejection mm-hmm. letter just kept on coming. So I used to cry almost daily. I'm in tears. Yeah. So I'll cry before I go to the lab because the lab is a job. You're literally going to an office right. to work, right. which is in the school. Right. So you, I'm just crying. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I keep on applying. Am I not that yeah. good as yeah. I thought and I was? Qualified. I'm qualified. Yeah. Yeah. And my contract with Oshahidi ended and everything, but I I've see. paid rent for, the, for, for a while, you know. So I was not really worried about rent, but I can't keep on showing my parents also that I need to depend on them again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm almost 28. So it was, it was tough. And mm. we only showed that good side. So everybody who lived outside, most of the time, only showed the really nice yeah. dinners and yeah. everything they're going yeah. for. But True. the struggles that yeah. are going through there. 
and emotional torture is yeah. just it's crazy it's, it is and it's people difficult. have money you don't yep. other students have money mm -hmm. you don't mm -hmm. money is always the, i think the denominator for totally yeah so yeah. we had to learn how to do things yeah but hey I'm, I'm actually happy that i brought that back to kenya to be able to live a different life yeah. and change a few things here and there so so tell us because you mentioned a little bit about like you are you are slowly learning and picking on oh i could do that i could do that back yeah. in kenya yeah so what did you do when you came back so i came back um before i came back i applied to a job to deloitte in mm -hmm. south africa and actually got the job okay so when I was about to discuss my contract and everything, I wrote back to Cellulant and I'm like, hey, I would love to come back to work. I left when I was an intern. I came back as the head of security. What? Yeah, that difference was quite big for me because <laughs> I kept on going. Every time I had a holiday, I come back to work a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that was fine. But that came, I, when I was in Korea, I launched something called Africa Hackon because I was doing mentorship for a lot of young people in cybersecurity or undergraduates who are trying to learn to cybersecurity. And I said, we are so, I wanted to go to the United States for similar conferences, but I had no money. Mm -hmm. Why don't I do the same thing? Excuse me. Mm -hmm. In Kenya. Mm -hmm. Why don't I do the same thing in Kenya? So I came back. I took one of the cash that I had some time back. Right. Came back to Kenya. Launched Africa Hackon with almost nothing. I had almost no money. Mm -hmm. Even the person who gave us food was on pro bono, hoping that it would sell. The night before, I remember, there were only 18 tickets sold as uh, that's that sold right. that was in a thousand bob imagine wow. cheap yeah we got pwc uh boardroom for free okay. but people were not coming mm. by 9 p.m it was sold out we had over flooding the next day people showed up i was like what is going on here <laughs> like why are we having too many people like i can't even control so that was the first success eight years down the line yeah. i've tried to create something called a ripple effect so I teach people when I encourage people to teach other people. Mm -hmm. Now we have an influx of cybersecurity professionals mm -hmm. and I've been going to schools, I go to universities, I teach for free and I keep on doing that. I never charge for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That we can keep mentoring people to be able to do that. So I do a lot of mentorship for free yeah. when it comes to cybersecurity because yeah. it's fulfilling for me. True. The more I, people I teach, I just it's, I feel nice when I see people succeed. Most of my mentees are now at Microsoft and a whole lot of other places right. they're driving their own cars yeah it feels nice yeah yeah so yeah. that was one the bob program i talked to the government of kenya i said let's launch a similar thing mm -hmm. so there's actually ecrawl innovation hub which does a similar thing six months full time they actually pay you to study mm -hmm. so fresh graduate you can mm -hmm. go to ecrawl e-k-r-a-l mm -hmm. you can go there learn cybersecurity for six months and you can go work anywhere. Wow. It's an intense program. They give you accommodation, mm -hmm. they give you transport, mm -hmm. they give you a stipend of almost 60,000 Kenya shillings. Yeah. Graduates right out of, out of school for 60K, that's a lot. That's a lot. And that whole thing of me speaking out there, I said I have to do the same thing here. Yeah. And now teaching my other colleagues to be able to speak about what they do. True. And my youngest mentee is 16. The other day, he spoke in front of 12,700 people wow. online, comfortably, comfortably. Amazing. In Kenya, he did about 500 people at one go. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of breed of people that I want to bring up and mm -hmm. try to see how can I create that ripple effect mm -hmm. when it comes to cybersecurity and leadership. Yeah. So yeah, that's okay. basically what I'm trying to yeah. do back here. Yeah, that's encouraging. I think um, one of the questions that comes to mind is like, okay, so obviously you're creating these platforms yes. where you're mentoring and sharing your professional journey yeah. and um, obviously instilling skills. Yes. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, how do you see like the field of cybersecurity in Africa in terms of both demand and yeah, yeah just like the future growth? What do you think that looks like? It's changing really fast, mm -hmm. and I'm saying really fast because Kenya, where Kenya was five years ago, is not the same way we are right now. A lot of organizations are realizing that they need all of the skill set in-house and getting to create that, to, to close that gap of skill set-wise is the biggest problem that we have. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that a lot of organizations are coming in to help and to be able to donate money, even to train people. Schools are coming up, partnerships are being formed, and People like me are still here to be able to mentor anybody who wants to get into it. So it's going to change. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I still say there's a big gap mm -hmm. because not 
I still find some people who are selfish when it comes to sharing information. You'll be surprised. Yeah, really? There are people who are very selfish when it comes to sharing mm -hmm. what they know. So if the professionals don't want to share, yeah. then who's going to teach the young ones? True. Yet they're eager to learn. True. So my encouragement to people is teach, share, no, share enough for the young ones to be able to pick up the mm -hmm. little that you know. Mm -hmm. They'll become better than you. That's okay. Most of my mentees are better than me in what they do. But it's, it's fine. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, are they happy? Yes. Are they making money? Yes. Are they living comfortably? Yes. Are they raising a family? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what I want to see. Yeah. So if we can't do that, but a lot of people have a lot of, I've seen a, too, too many insecurities with a number of professionals in the industry mm -hmm. who don't want to share. Mm -hmm. And that's quite sad for me when yeah. I see um, a situation like that. Okay. So. I'll keep doing what I have to do yeah. to make sure that I change this landscape when it comes to cybersecurity skill sets. Yeah. 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 In Kenya, in the whole of Africa, because yeah. Ghana, we started on Ghana as well. Okay. And guess what? Majority of them are now doing it. One of the kids actually left Ghana, went to Togo to start the same thing. Just yesterday, he was like, look, the government is here. Mm -hmm. You can't believe I've pulled this off. I'm like, I'm glad. Yeah. One kid I, met, I was mentoring in India. Yesterday, I just wrote on his LinkedIn like, I'm glad to see that you knew nothing, and right now you're getting awards for that. It's just, it feels nice. Mm. And I think to me, that is more than money. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what I want to do. Tanzania, which I did the same thing. One of the kids, he came for Africa Hack on here. Mm -hmm. He flew down, come for the conference and the competition. He won third place. And I said, look, you can actually start this by yourself. He gave him all the guidelines and gave him the go-ahead, like, I go do see. it. He started his own practice of people and mentorship, oh, mentorship cool. in, uh, in, your, in Tanzania, mm -hmm. and it's going well. Mm -hmm. People are sponsoring them, and just like Microsoft flew down here. The head of Microsoft Engineering, a lady, flew down here, and then I started a thing with Koshi Hacks KE. So I didn't start it, basically, but my mentees told them, you have to start a ladies fabric. Because right. the ladies don't talk in the groups. In the many see. WhatsApp group, they're very quiet, intimidated mm. by all the men shouting and looking like they know stuff. So they decided what to call She Hacks KE. It's been running for six years now or five. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That is booming. Mm. That is creating the next level of women in tech and cybersecurity. And right. it's just amazing. Right. The thing is, they're all young yeah. people. And if more people can do that, the future is bright. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I don't know why I used the name bright. I just had to. I know. That's the thought that came to my head. Then I was like, I can't say that. Because <laughs> sitting across from bright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, quite, quite literally. Um, I, I think that's, yeah, I think also that's a challenge to all of us who are fortunate enough to be in careers yeah. that, I mean, like, broadly look successful. Like, yeah. well, how are we building the next generation of leaders in yes. whatever industry or sphere we're in? So it's a good challenge. Yeah. I take it up. And I think, you know, sometimes I thought it's just um, impacting cybersecurity-wise mm. until I got married. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now things started changing because now my life is completely... It's a whole new life that I right. never expected to happen. Right. I'm like, okay... Now this person, this woman is going to stay in my house there every day. Mm. I have to see her every day. <laughs> Baby has been involved yes. and we got married and everything. It's my, can you imagine? People actually ask me, my DMs, every single day I get such a question. How do you do it? How are you okay with your wife knowing your password? Because she knows all my passwords. Mm. She has a master password to all my passwords. Mm -hmm. How do you, social aspect of things started becoming a question to me. There's a kid who said, look, I actually masturbate a lot, so I can't get to, to date. Help me. Whoa. Imagine I paid for him to go for therapy. Yeah. It's That's, the least I could do. Yeah, that is the least. People, somebody, one lady wanted to commit suicide. Yeah. The bride just called me. And I'm like, I'm not a therapist. I right. don't know. They're like, right. you look like you have it all figured out. I don't. But if I can talk someone out of suicide, Okay, mm -hmm. that's the third person I've talked out of suicide mm -hmm. before, and I've never met them. Mm -hmm. And I, I again, it, it's a bit hard, but also makes it's also a bit difficult on my side yeah. because I'm taking all of these people's problems, mm -hmm. thinking I'm fixing them, but it's actually piling up on you, on me. Yeah, I have sent more than 10 people to therapy, and I've never gone myself. <laughs> 
I'm about to ask, how are you dealing with all yeah, this? Yeah, I don't know. Yes. But I think somebody said the other day, I think that we men, I think we men have a different way of dealing with it. Our therapy is our boys. And our women are like, so... And I think it's real. Because yeah. when I meet my, my best man, mm-hmm. him and I just release. We just talk and get <laughs> angry and just say things. Right. We, look, we like restaurants right. where nobody's around us. We can talk and shout and we get up and walk yeah. around. and yeah. It's nice. Yeah. That is therapy enough. Or my wife. Yeah. Of things that I can tell her mm-hmm. or feel like I should release. Yeah. And yeah, having that support system is really important. Yeah. And I think when some people say they try, they admire that part of my life as well. I, I it's, it's kind of nice. And yeah. I'm just like, well, hope it helps someone. I right, don't know. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Actually, Brad, good, a good point. The fact that you're actually super active on, on social media or like you have a following. Yeah. Um, what are you hoping to accomplish through that? Um, <sighs> my, my, my social media following, I think it also came by a mistake. I didn't plan to have, it's now 50 5,000? I think like three, somewhere there. I checked, it was but I'm just there like, where did these people come from? Because <laughs> are they <all> real? <laughs> are they real? Exactly. Um, so I started by just posting memes, very funny videos, and I, I put a hashtag, random pics I like, mm. random vids I like. Mm-hmm. And it's just things that I like, which I used to find everywhere on the internet, right, which I used right. to share. So I used to share a lot more on, on Facebook than Instagram somehow. Excuse me, mm-hmm. this um, gas. <laughs> yeah, bubbles. and bub- <laughs> bubbles. See, this is anyway. This <laughs> yeah, sparkling water. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, I started doing that and I put the hashtag, and all of a sudden it started picking up so much, mm. and and I got to a point. I'm like, wait, I can't just keep on sharing funny things. Let me share also anything that I feel like it inspired me. I should share. So anything I see that is inspiring, mm. I share. Yeah. And people actually tell me that they, they actually look forward to those posts. So when I go on holidays and I'm posting holiday pictures, they're like, ah, bright, we want something. <laughs> we want to inspirational <laughs> and your funny videos. And I'm like, you guys actually watch that? Like, it's not a big deal to me, but anything that can help somebody somewhere. Yeah. And COVID was where I got to realize that it was actually making a difference. Mm-hmm. Why? People were depressed. We're really depressed, but through funny things that I was posting, they're like, it actually really helped them to just decompress themselves. And I don't know, it helped them in one way or the other. And I got to be told that by so many people much later. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. Somehow later, I thought I'll monetize the details of my following, but I don't know how to make money that way. So people want to send me stuff to post. And, you know, a few people have been doing it online. They're really good at it being able to share their share how something about what's it called it's called product placement yeah something like that yeah i don't think i know how to do that <laughs> i can't lie about something i don't like right so i said mm. some things people send me i don't post mm. others send me some things and naturally post without even asking me they're like want to send you it's a lady who sent me a mob i love that mob so much really? <laughs> yeah it's just like bright i'm overwhelmed I'm selling too much of it now. So she's like, can I send you another thing? Just choose from the page. And my wife chose some racks for the washing machine and stuff. She sent, she sent wow. almost, and she said every month, she sends two items, we choose. Wow. When a new thing comes, yeah. she sends. Because yeah. every time I post, she sells 10 times that. So she's, I'm like, wow, people are really made. This is how people make money out yeah, of it. Thought leader. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, so I don't like, so I don't call myself an influencer. Thank yeah. you. A thought leader in what I do. Yeah. Influencer feels a little bit, I don't know. I'm not influencing anything really right. in my perspective. Yeah. But if I can share something that people will like. Yeah. That and people will be able someone. to help someone, mm. I'll always do that. Yeah. 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 No, that's cool. That's yep. cool. Um, okay. So, right. Uh, in closing, I just yeah. want to understand, like, from your perspective, obviously you're doing a lot. Um, so, but what is the Africa that you want to see? Like, what is your highest hope for Africa? There's so much that we do in Africa that I don't think people even know mm. that we do. Mm-hmm. My hope and wish is to actually see a lot of more African thought-driven 
initiatives get out there. Mm. Uh, not even not, not necessarily get out of Africa, but being used by African. Yeah. We have too many smart people. We have one of the biggest tech hubs here. We have a lot of social impact details that are happening in Africa. But nobody ever gets to really share it out there. It's the time I was started writing for, it's called, it's called Africa Renewal. It's a UN um, journal that gets to be published in the US. And I'm like, anything I can write on us in Africa, people read. Right. And actually when I write a paper, a very short paper, people read a lot, but also for the money though, because they pay a dollar per word. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, why not? Right. I write, I am, ah, that's, that's two dollars. <laughs> So why not? So it's, it's good to just share experiences mm. and details that we have here. But I feel a lot of people are not sharing or exporting those knowledge or details of what we have. I used to be so proud of coming from Africa mm. that when I was at small conferences or small workshops in Kenya, in, in Korea, I share. Kids are so wired in a way that they memorize everything right. so I, when i was teaching english yeah. or teaching uh, math and those basic things they're memorizing everything mm. and they're like teacher teacher how is africa africa you know mm. i'm like let me show you so i take out my phone i had a small projector i used to just show them i showed them so i used to show them houses in lavender and, and runda <laughs> they're like you have a swimming pool at home like yes <laughs> okay that's not mine but hey <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have a swimming pool. This is my my house, and my neighbor's house is here. So mm. I used to use Google Street View, show them around. They're like, oh my God, they can't believe mm. this is what is out there because mm. we are not sharing enough. There's a day I was, I think I really lost it that day because someone was, was on the street playing guitar, mm -hmm. and there's a picture, and there's a box for them to put money in there. That picture is an African kid who looks like he's starving and it's a drop of water oh, trying to get goodness. on this town. I was so mad. Right. I hit that thing off the street. I hit it. Yeah. And I started shouting. And this is not me, but today I am mad for the African yeah. continent. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot insult us like this. But I calmed down later to realize that it's not his fault. Right. He's been told to do what he's supposed to do. Mm. So we actually went there for lunch and explained to him and I showed him the Africa he does not know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my friend Musa, do you know Musa right now? He's studied his station in Korea. That's the thing he does. Really? Talks about Africa. Oh, talks wow. about things. He, he educates people. Yeah. And I'm really happy about it. He's married to a Korean now and his, his, his life is there. Right. But I love the fact that someone like him can be there to be able to empower. Some of us mm -hmm. are not language people, so mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not fit for that whole profile. But... The few of us that went there, we make sure people understand the kind of life we live in Africa. Mm -hmm. But just generally, I feel like we have so much capabilities and resources that we don't get to use. Not just physical resources, but intellectual property that we have as well. Mm -hmm. We need to churn that out. And we need to encourage each other yeah. to be able to replicate or what they call the ripple effect. Yeah. The ripple effect is my key thing that I keep on telling people. I've been saying that for the past one or right. few years now. If we can create a ripple effect with the kind of skills we have yeah. and thoughts that we have in our head, we will create a better Africa. Yeah. That's all I want to see. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's so powerful because honestly, I, there's definitely so much room for more like Africa-centric research, IP yeah. to be publicized and, and put out there. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, which, I, I don't know, I'd love to get your thoughts because I think like in the US or Europe or in Asia, yeah. the mechanisms <laughs> and platforms for getting that out, like whether it's peer-reviewed papers or whatever, are very structured. Like, yeah. do we have the same? It's a Africa? problem that I have. So yeah. I go to universities and ask them, what, what, how do you rate yourself right. as, as a university to know the grade of level that you are? Right. And there's nothing. Yeah. They don't have papers. Yeah. They don't have anything to show when I was in look how many papers I've had to write. I'm always publishing something. I'm always researching yeah, something. Yeah. And it's because it was demanded. It was of demanded. You. Yes. And later at first it was annoying. I'm like, why am I writing papers? Mm. Every day a professor wants a paper. Mm. Every month it was a paper. Now it got to a point I was like, in my PhD, you will never have to tell me to write a paper. I'm walking, I'm in the club, I'm writing. 
trust me, I used to write in the cloud. Yeah, you have a stream of thought. Yeah, like, I'm ah. like, ah, oh, this looks interesting. Yeah. I see things on the street that I write. Yep. I see billboards and I write. Right. Little thing that I see, I'm just putting it down. Mm. And I'm just there like, it's actually helping my credibility. It's also helping the school's credibility. Exactly. You know, so that becomes a thing that people will get to use that research later. The other day, my dad called me. He's like, um, my, my dad is also called Dr. Bright. So it's such a very confusing thing for for both of us yeah. when we're out there. He said, you know what? He he found the proudest moment ever when he went on Google Scholar to register himself and he realized that I was already there. And the beauty was people were referencing what I wrote mm. in China, mm -hmm. in Venezuela, mm -hmm. in US, in the UK, in places that I never would have thought my, my papers would have gone to. Right. So I'm like, oh, I didn't even know people are actually referencing, referencing. what I wrote yeah, a lot huge. of years ago. Mm. And so it was just, if we kept, if what if we do the same thing in Africa yeah. right now? Our universities, if our teach, our lecturers are empowered to make sure students write, I lecture Strathmore. Mm -hmm. And I make sure my students get to learn how to write. So I take those classes, I, I hoard them. I'm like, give me that class. I need to teach mm. how they can do projects, how they can write better. Even the thesis, I'm not supposed to um, do the thesis guidance, but I take it upon myself to do right, it. Right. So we need to be able to let a lot of us get out more details, True. write papers, be able to share knowledge that we have here because that's the be that's how we're going to get better in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bright. It was thank lovely you. to have this chat. Thank you so much for your honesty and yeah, for telling the dark side as well. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just wish you all the best with your, your mentorship and everything you. you're doing in cybersecurity and tech. Um, I can't wait to see everything you accomplish. It's a journey. So Thank you. yeah, it's just part of the journey yeah, we are seeing now. And it's now. lovely have, having me here. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I've not spoken about this in a while. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of refreshing <laughs> to just take some thought processes back and bring it out here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bright. Um, he spared no details on the dark side of being an international student uh, living in South Korea. Um, but also what was really enlightening was how that period of time in that very intense environment has contributed to who he is today and the impact that he's having um, in the cybersecurity space on the African continent. Um, so be sure to catch the full conversation wherever you get your podcasts and also subscribe to the YouTube channel to get notified when we release new episodes. Next week, I am joined by Adeola Adediran, um, who is uh, a Nigerian working in the oil and gas sector, particularly in LPG, um, who's living a life, you know, between the US and Nigeria, and actually grew up fully in the US and decided to move to Nigeria, um, you know, way into his adult life. So I think that conversation is super interesting and I can't wait to share it with you next week. Take care.